Amazing Thanksgiving with family, friends, um, and uh, uh, Mike was down in California visiting family over the holidays, and uh, on his drive back, he made it to Redding, where the interstates closed last night at like 10 o'clock, and so he's still at Redding going to Church of Bethel, I believe, this morning, and so be praying for him. I was like, by the looks of it, I'll probably see you on Monday, not even today, but we'll see. And uh, he was going to preach this morning, so I'm going to make some up now. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I got notes and everything. I'm totally messing with you. Um, I, I, I say good morning, and I say good to be here with you this morning, and uh, that is especially true today. Um, a year ago this morning, I was at a meeting here at the church, and after the meeting, I went over to uh, Trudy's salon. She was doing hair that morning, uh, about 10.30, 10.45, and uh, as I sat there and we were talking, uh, I, I got a headache, and, uh, and, and it was a doozy of a headache, and I, I started to drive home, or I started to drive, actually get Trudy something to eat, and I was like, I should not be on the road right now, and so I made a quick turn to my house, I was only a few blocks away, and took a nap, took some medicine, and got up and kind of did the day. Ben was down with some friends. We went to a lighthouse. We hiked up to a lighthouse. We went to Holly Jolly Follies, did church in the morning, had a membership class, and had the membership class near the end of it. The Vander Bogarts were there as uh, they just uh, did our, our Advent moment, and I was like, hey, I'm going to ask you guys pray for me because, like, I don't go to the doctor much, so I don't want to be stupid and like be having a brain aneurysm or something, but uh, just pray my headache goes away. And so um, I had a pretty good headache that night. We did a movie night here at the church, and first thing in the morning, I went to a walk-in clinic. And uh, first thing opened up and got in there, and, and they were asking, so you got a headache? Yeah. I was like, would you say it's the worst headache you've ever had in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would say it's the worst headache I've ever had in my life. On a scale of one to ten, how would you describe the headache? Well, I was like, it's the worst headache I've ever had in my life. It's a 10. And, uh, and so he's like, okay. And, and I told him about the circumstance. He's like, well, it sounds like a migraine to me, and I'm going to give you some medication. And I, Trudy's had migraines, so I'm somewhat familiar. So I was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, there was some strong sense in the salon. Maybe that's what it was. And so I came back to work for a few hours while the prescription was being called in. When they said it was ready, I picked that up, went and took a rest Tuesday. Came, elders meeting, 4.45, did day of work, went to basketball game in Newport, drove home late. Wednesday, I'm like, by the way, I'm spending all night awake and having to sit upright. And um, so Wednesday, I'm like, there's something not right with this. So I called to make an appointment. They're like, well, we can get you in first thing in the morning. I was like, okay, so I'm going to now go to Eugene on Thursday morning. We had the citywide youth Christmas party right here at the church and had a good old time and went into my doctor in Eugene and, and he said, describe to me this headache of yours. So I described it to him and, and, uh, and then he, he went on uh, to talk about, um, you know, how, how would you compare this pain to other pains that you have had in your life? And I tried to describe it as like a, a headband. And then I said, have you ever seen the video of a watermelon that they put rubber bands on? Has anybody ever seen this video? And they keep adding rubber bands. Well, eventually, after two or three hundred rubber bands, the top of the water balloon explodes. And I was like, yeah, that's my head. And uh, so he says... Let me ask you a question. Is your wife in the lobby? And I was like, yeah, she should be out there. He's like, I'm going to go get her. And I was thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> like, 
this thing's real. I, I'm just being real with you here. Um, and, uh, and, and so he, they get me over to the emergency room and do a number of tests. I find blood in my spinal column. And, uh, and then they th- throw me in an ambulance. And boy, if you're new here, <laughs> welcome to Florence Christian Church. Um, <laughs> man, okay. Uh, I just, just, other things are going through my head now. And so they get me up to Portland, and I get there about 3 o'clock in the morning. I was glad it was the middle of the night. The guy was going like 90 miles an hour, and I was thankful. Um, about 7 p.m., they take me in to, uh, to do an angiogram, which I've heard of for hearts and stuff, but not for heads. And so I was like, well, that makes sense. It's a different roadmap, I guess. As they get in there um, and I'm out, they, they wake me up and say, we found a, a, an aneurysm in your brain. And I was like, oh, really? And, and now comes one of my favorite new questions. Do you guys want to see pictures of my brain? <laughs> yeah? Let's take a look. No, for real. And, and so this is literally my brain. Arteries in my brain. And, and you can see kind of hanging out on its own out there is the thinning of the arterial wall known as an aneurysm where it's thinner in that spot and it had ruptured and was uh, spewing uh, blood into my brain and brains don't like blood. Uh, go ahead to the next one. Shows it a little bit. All the black is where blood is flowing so you can see where blood is in that kind of bulbous part uh, in the center of the frame. And, uh, and as they described later where this was, it's, it's in uh, the circle of Willis. We go to the next slide, which is in the center of my brain. And so here, 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 it's right in the core. And from that spot goes speech and motor function and vision and hearing and all of that out of that center core of the brain. And as they wake me up partially uh, in this surgery, they say, we can go in and uh, do something called a coil, which is a platinum coil that we put into that, and it will coagulate the blood so that no more liquid blood is in that space in order to bleed out into your brain cavity. And, uh, And would you like us to proceed with that? And I'm like, all right, so hold, you are in my brain right now. Yes, we are in your brain right now, right now, while I'm talking to you. And you could go in and, and coil that in that. Yes, that's what we'd like to do because we can't open up school because it's in the center. It's not uh, feasible. And so I was like, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what else are we going to do? Right? Like, I can go and think about it and then come back through. Yes, absolutely. And so, obviously, I'm under medication. I go and talk to Trudy and, and the kids, and, and they agree with that. And so, uh, an hour later, I wake up, and uh, my hands go up in the air real quick, and, and I, I remember where I'm at and all that. And, and they wheel me a short while later up to my room, and, and I get up there, and, and nobody's in there. This is the... Now, in this entire week that this has taken place, because now Friday about midnight, this happened on a Saturday, December 1st, at 7 a.m., so almost seven days, full days later, I remember every ounce and minute of it. The only part I don't remember is this right here. And I picked up my phone, and I called Trudy, and she still thinks I'm in surgery and doesn't know how I'm going to come out of surgery, if I'll be able to see, talk, move, anything. I'm like, where are you guys? She's like, what? I'm up in the room. Are you coming up here? And so they came up, and I remember them walking in and everything else, just that short snippet of time. Um, 
And so this is uh, the last picture is just the coil of it. You can see blood everywhere except for in that spot where there is platinum uh, coils that will coagulate the blood. Um, so I say that to say, good morning. <laughs> so good to be here with you today. I, I really did nothing but lay there. So, uh, But God is good through all of this, and, uh, and I have no question in my mind that it was because of prayers of this uh, congregation, people in Colorado around the world, uh, that I was able to heal quickly and, and be back in, in with my family and in your presence and to be able to have the privilege of this. It's cool. You clap now. Give me a second. <laughs> Keep clapping. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, to be in God's Word together. And we're in the book of Romans, which is all about God revealing Himself. So, okay. Romans chapter 10, Paul has just come out of this section where he is expressing um, how he longs for his people to understand the relationship he has with Jesus, the goodness of him coming to earth, and, uh, and he says, I would, I would be willing to sacrifice myself to the depths of hell for my people to, to believe in him. So he's expressing these things, and, and he's going back to the Old Testament over and over again because they, they, they were founded on these Old Testament scriptures and on their forefathers, and they believed them and had been taught them their whole lives. And so he keeps going back to them to say, this Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things that were talked about for so long. And so he refers through chapters 9 and 10 over and over again. And in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everybody that believes. And so he's talking about what this is, that Jesus is the end of those things that you had been waiting for, the completion, the fulfillment of those things, and he understood zeal. That being excited for God is not enough. Saul, or we call him Spall in youth ministries because he was once Saul who was zealous for God but didn't have an understanding of Jesus and the role that he played in fulfilling all these promises. And then once he did, became known as Paul, so we refer to him as Spall. He understood zeal. But zeal without knowledge is not enough, he says in Proverbs chapter 19. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Sometimes we have haste because we're excited about something, but we don't have a complete understanding of it. And it says, if you make a haste, then with your feet you'll miss away. He's going to talk about feet here in a little bit, but this is a different thing that he is discussing in contrast uh, with Paul, uh, with what Paul is saying, uh, John Stott says this, he says, Sincerity is not enough, for we may sincerely be mistaken. 
The proper word for zeal without knowledge, commitment without reflection, or enthusiasm without understanding is fanaticism. And fanaticism is a horrid and dangerous state to be in. And this is where the Israelites were. Not understanding Jesus having fulfilled all these promises and they were excited and ready to to sacrifice for God but not seeing it and they were fanatical for possibly the wrong things or the unfulfilled things of God. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. When you believe, then you can put aside the law. The law was there to prepare people's hearts for the giving of a Savior. And when we see that we can't save ourselves, there is freedom in that. Laying on that operating table knowing there's nothing I can do now. I am in the hands of hopefully this expert who got better than a C on his final I am at the mercy of his hands, understanding ourselves, not trying to save ourselves. There is freedom in that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, uh, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word actually in, in uh, Romans chapter 10 is this has been the goal of it. This is what we have been working towards, the fulfillment, the completion of the law. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You see, there's a number of questions that the law requires, but those who have faith already have answered and he goes into a couple of these questions. Better questions than maybe had been asked. It says, if, if you're bound by the law, then you might ask something like, who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down? In essence, denying that Jesus was born God's son and lived and walked on the earth and then died because of his love for us. It would be to deny that. But those who have faith don't have to ask that question. We already have it answered. The other question those bound by the law would bring would, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring him back up from the realms of the dead. And those bound by the law not understanding Jesus as a Savior would be in denial of him being raised, resurrected from the dead. But those with faith already have that question answered. It goes on, the word is near you, on your lips, in your heart. That is the message of faith that we proclaim When we have a relationship with Jesus and we've seen how he can change our circumstances, how he can come in and give forgiveness and freedom, then it's on our lips. It's at the tip of our tongue. We're ready to share it with the world and we have zeal with full knowledge that we can then share with others. You see, God isn't good because he saved me, but he saved me because of his goodness. Now, it's not always nice and pretty with a bow on the end. You know, sometimes it's difficult. You know, those day, that day and the 10 days that I would be in the hospital, they weren't even my most difficult days this year. And even in the difficulties, 
God is still good. It's who He is. It's in His character. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one will be put to shame, he begins with in this section right here, and it points back to Romans chapter 1, his thesis for the entire book that he was about to write, and he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. Do you see how closely these two verses are related from chapter 1 to chapter 10? Let me read it again. Scripture says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the good news of this season and every season. We're going to jump forward just a few verses. Don't worry, we'll come back to this. Paul's argument about the Israelites continues understanding, trying to figure out why they haven't come into faith yet, and he's questioning Israel's disbelief. Chapter 10, verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Then he answers, indeed they have, and he goes back to Psalms. Again, he keeps going back to the Old Testament as proof uh, and trying to establish on what the Israelites already believed, this claim for Jesus. And he says from Psalm 19, verse 4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Is literally saying that the universal witness of the heavenly bodies have talked. So the question, haven't they heard? Yes. Of course they've heard. They've heard this message. And then he asks another question, verse 19. I asked, did Israel not understand? And then he talks about Moses and he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 23, 32, not 23, 32. And it says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And in this section of scripture in Deuteronomy, in essence, God is saying, you left me God. To follow a no God is, is the word, low L, a no God. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, you were my people, but I'm going to shame you by bringing in a no people. You're going to follow a no God instead of the real God? Fine. I will bring in a no people to, to, to embrace me and to understand me. And he continues then referring to Isaiah chapter 65. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Talking about bringing in the Gentiles. That this message would not just be for the Israelites, but also Gentiles. That anyone who calls on his name could be saved. Then verse 21. But of Israel, he says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God shouldn't be the one seeking after necessarily. It should be us seeking after God with our arms up saying, God, save me. God, help me. God, forgive me. God, come into my life and change me. And yet he says that I have stood with my arms wide open for them. But they're a contrary and disobedient people. 
I sought after them. I came to their rescue time and time again. And Paul, with his heart broken, saying, these people who God has been preparing for thousands of years to see Jesus and go, that is the one we have waited for, have missed it. So he brings others in. Now that was always God's plan. You see, originally he blessed Israelites. Why? He blessed them to be a blessing to others. We've covered this over and over again. It was always God's plan to bring everybody into his fold. We're going to jump back to verse 14 as Paul kind of looks at this, his desire that everyone might be saved. That's what he said in chapter, uh, in chapter 10, verse 1. He started there, that everyone might be saved. And, and, and so he goes in to ask a series of questions that they might be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed, uh, he who has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. These four questions, how will they call if they haven't believed, and how will they believe if they haven't heard, and how will they hear if nobody preaches, and how will they preach if nobody is sent? Asking better questions of the Christians in Rome. And to answer these questions, he says that it is implied that the reverse must take place, but how can they believe, call if they haven't heard? If they call, they're going to be saved. That's the beginning. If they call, they'll be saved, but if they, if they haven't uh, heard, how can they believe? And what would they believe in? That Jesus is the Son of God, sent on Christmas morning to show his love, who lived a life on earth that he could relate to us in our pain and our suffering, in our temptation, in our darkest times. In, in a way that he relied on God and went to him over and over again on his own. The way that he committed himself to, to a few, to 12 men that he would spend time with and be in relationship with and mentor and disciple. The way that he would then also be a part of a larger church body as he was regularly in the temple courts and in their daily readings that he was committed to sharing this love and good news with the mass as he lived this life and died. That's what the people were to believe, but not just that he died, that he rose again. How can they believe if they haven't heard? And we see in chapter 1 that he talks about all of creation, talks about Jesus, talks about who God is. So everybody is without excuse because we've all experienced him in this manner. And I have long preached that living this message out is important. And I've used St. Francis of Assisi's uh, quote to, to preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. And often I have said living it out is the best thing you can do. But sometimes what I've missed over the years is that it still is necessary to use words. Use words when necessary. It is necessary to preach this word. And then when he gets into preaching in this next part, he says, how can they hear if nobody has preached? This isn't talking about me or Mike or somebody that would stand up here on stage. The word that's actually used is one, uh, it's caruso, which is about a herald. 
You know, hark the herald angel, the announcing angel, the one that would come to spread this great news, and it includes all of us. It's in Corinthians chapter 5. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We, you are his herald. You have been called to preach with words and live it out this message of love. This whole section is from Isaiah chapter 52 and 40. And in Isaiah 52 it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing. You wasted places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. I love that last part. He has bared his arm to the nation. God's flexing. Like, take a look at this. I have come to save you with the strength and power and might that only I have to reach into your lives and change the brokenness. I'll flex for you. And that's the message that we have, the last question. Who will preach or herald the good news if they aren't sent? Isaiah 40 climb on a high mountain, Zion. You're the herald of good news. Raise your voice. Make it good and loud, Jerusalem. You're the herald of the good news. Speak loud and clear. Don't be timid. Tell the cities of Judah, look your God. Look at him. God, the master, comes in power, ready to go into action. He's going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms and hugging them as he carries them. You are the herald of this good news. How will they call if they haven't believed? How will they believe if they haven't heard? How will they heard if it hasn't been heralded? And how will the herald go unless he is sent Paul, again, would have given anything to reach out to the Israelites and change their mind, to have them see the love of God, that he uh, sent his son as a fulfillment of what they had awaited for so many years, and I wonder how we can relate to that. Does your heart break for family members, for friends? For your neighbors, do we, do we hurt? Would we sacrifice for them? Do you have somebody in your life that you would give anything to reach in and change their circumstances? God can do that. And so we have a responsibility to live this out, but also to share the goodness of what God has done in our lives to bring us freedom because he is powerful and mighty enough to do it. We have to rely on that. We all need this. I especially need to remember his goodness and his power can overcome everything. And, and so we just want you to be thinking this season about who is God calling you to? 
Who has God placed you in a relationship within a unique circumstance to share this love? Maybe you have somebody in mind already that you know you need to go out of your way in this season to spend time with in order to have opportunities to share this goodness. Maybe you don't. We, we have the, the kindness tree, the acts of kindness tree out in the lobby. You know, we do this, a similar thing with our, our students at CIY. They get an envelope. Uh, some students stood up here at the end of summer, talked about this, and, uh, and they're challenged. If you open this envelope, you are committing as a kingdom worker to do whatever it says. And I challenge similar to you is to go to the tree but stand a few feet off and just pray, God, I'm going to do whatever I I pick up off of the board and just find a card that you can't read and say, I'm going to pick that one. And whatever it says, I'm going to do it because I know that you're good enough to walk with me through it. You know, you could go up and kind of cherry pick the board and, well, that sounds easy. I'll do that one. But I challenge you to go out, stand a few feet back and have a moment with God. God, will you help me do whatever it is I pick off this board? And the great thing about those uh, um, kingdom worker cards and about this acts of kindness board is nobody expects you to do it on your own. See, we are in this together. You don't have to accomplish it. You can bring people in to help you with it, to walk with you in it. If you don't have the skill set or the knowledge or the experience or the boldness, ask somebody to walk with you in it. That's what this Christian life is supposed to be about. Looking for opportunities with maybe the name that is in your mind to ask better questions that can lead to gospel-centered conversations. And, and I want you to know that these set of questions are asked, and, and I will say the end was how can they go if they're not sent? And so I'm sending you. I'm sending you with this good news. So others can hear it so that their lives can come into this belief, and in their belief they'll call out to God because God promises when they call out to him, we'll be saved. Let's pray. God, only you are powerful enough to reach into our brokenness, God, into our disobedience, uh, into our stubbornness and pride, and, and change and transform us. So we ask that, God, that you would lead us to people that need to hear your message of hope in this season. God, that we would rely on you and the strength of your arm to be at work in the things that we do in the places that we go, with the conversations of asking better questions uh, to the people that I believe that you have sent us to. God, give our words power through your spirit. God, not our own human eloquence because we don't have much to offer you but you have everything to offer us, and so we just uh, call into that power and might to be at work in us and through us. God, you are so good. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of communion is a reminder of the final seal. His gift of the Holy Spirit because of his death on the cross. If, if this was all about the end and the completion of the law, it was finalized with not a full cross, but an empty cross and an empty tomb. And we remember that completion in this time.
where God gave his body a cracker, which represents his body broken, whipped, stabbed, because that's the cost in order to bring us back into a relationship with him. The juice representing his blood that was spilled, atoning for our weakness and our brokenness. And we take this in thanksgiving and to remember his goodness to us. And so as we sing, worship, and take the elements and and just take some time to, to spend with God.